Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Inside Facebook Mobile Podcast. My name is Pascal and with me in the studio, as always, he's holding on to his iPhone 10 like Thanos is to his Infinity Gauntlet. It's Emil. I'm not going to let that thing go. Hey, guys. <laughs> so, um... Let's start with a bit of housekeeping. Um, we have upgraded our recording equipment a bit. We have definitely heard your feedback about uh, the recording quality last time, and we really hope it's going to be better this time. But I mean, we won't really know until it's actually out there. But keep the feedback coming. We'll do our best to improve from here. We've also got another great guest lined up for this episode. It's Will Bailey, who's joining us from California. We're going to talk about the intersection of design and engineering with him because he's got a rich background in both of these things. He's not working on stories on Instagram for Android, but actually started working on Facebook for iOS. So there are a lot of different facets we can cover in this interview. Yeah, I'm super excited to be talking to Will and having him on the show this, uh, this month. All right, then without further ado, let's get started. I know this is a podcast and not a visual medium, but I do wish we could show our listeners a picture of Emil and I sitting in this room here with each of us having an Apple AirPod sticking out of our ears so we can listen to Will while not listening to ourselves because otherwise we have feedback, which is incredibly confusing. But anyway, enough about us. Um, Will, welcome to the podcast. Um, can you tell us about yourself and what did you hear at Facebook? Sure. Uh, so yeah, my name's Will Bailey. I've been at Facebook coming up on eight years now and uh, seen a lot of change in the company over the years. Um, so excited to talk about that a little bit today, just my experiences and everything. I'm currently at Instagram. I work on the Android team. Um, I work on Instagram stories specifically. Uh, something I'm really passionate about is helping people uh, create and express themselves. Um, and so Instagram stories is like kind of my dream project. I uh, really enjoyed working on that. And I guess the most recent exciting thing is that Instagram uh, just opened up our San Francisco office. So I've been working from San Francisco for about a week now. And I'm really enjoying that new kind of city lifestyle. Really enjoying it. Oh, amazing. Um, that's actually good that you mentioned this. I think in the intro, I said uh, Will Bailey from California. I was about to say Menlo Park, but I guess it was then accurate after all. Um, but if I remember this correctly, you didn't actually start an Android, but uh, your early days were on iOS. Can you tell us a bit more about the yeah early days of Facebook on that platform? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I had like kind of an interesting path here. Uh, back in 2010, I was working at a startup called Zenbee, and we were doing creative, or sorry, we were building collaboration tools for small businesses. And one of our tools was a uh, group communication uh, program, sort of like Facebook Groups. And through that, we were part of a small talent acquisition to Facebook. And at Zenbee, I had written an iPhone app for this communication product. And I had written it in the framework that was developed at Facebook called 320, uh, which was developed by Joe Hewitt. So I had some experience with that framework. And when I arrived at Facebook, it turned out that I kind of already knew how the Facebook app worked because uh, this uh, framework was pretty much extracted from the Facebook app. So very early on, uh, I got exposed to mobile development at Facebook And it was really interesting um, when you compare and contrast today's mobile development environment at Facebook to the environment back then. Uh, back then, there were two or three people working on the iOS app. Uh, there were officially nobody really working on Android. We had just kind of started that 
building for that platform, and it was not yet popular enough to really uh, warrant staffing a full-time engineer on it. And because of that, you know, there was very little tooling around uh, mobile, and everything was just very much uh, ad hoc. But it was really exciting to still have, like, the user base of Facebook even back then and be able to make such a big contribution by work, being one of the very few people working on mobile at that time. But yeah, so... So many, many people probably haven't actually used this 320 framework you're talking yeah. about, uh, especially if, if you haven't been around for like eight years or whatever. <laughs> uh, it's not... Or you're like me and you only really know stuff on Android. Yeah, yeah like it's it's not, I would say, your typical framework like uh, like many mobile developers would think of today. It does does one thing, it does one thing well. True. 320 was... 310 was was something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us more about it? What was it? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of an amazing creation by by Joe Hewitt, which was who was just this prolific engineer that worked at Facebook, was the creator of uh, Firebug for Firefox, and was really one of the first uh, oh, I didn't know this. engineers, uh, I, I feel like, to kind of demonstrate how much could be done on iOS. And... 320, like I said, it was extracted from the Facebook app. So as he built things, he just started including them in the framework. And coming from Mozilla and Firefox, uh, I think he had kind of a web developer's mentality. And so he built APIs and abstractions for iOS that made building native apps feel a lot more like writing web apps. So there were some interesting like features like you could style text and buttons using a CSS-like DSL. There were these uh, view controllers that were essentially like web request scoped. So you would make a request, get a response back, and it would present your list of data. Um, and it actually made things really easy. And for me, it was my first time doing native development. So it was a great uh, – I'd been doing web development, and it was really easy for me to switch from doing web development to native development in 3.20. I think, you know, since it came out – the iOS SDK made a huge strides forward and filled in all the gaps that 320 was trying to fill in. And as a result, it got kind of a bad rap as this kind of parallel environment to the standard iOS SDK. But for the time, I think it was really cool and, and it really helped me uh, be super productive back then. But as you know, Facebook went through a number of iterations of our mobile development platform uh, and, and practices. And so that, I guess, was the first uh, foray into native at the time. Yeah, it's super interesting. L last episode, we talked about Litho, and there are also a bunch of pieces in, inside Litho which take inspiration from the web, yeah. starting with Flexbox and, and Yoga yeah. as a layout engine. So that's still a recurring theme that we have. And it's really cool, I think, when you ca can take lessons from different platforms and apply them there. Yeah. So when, how did Facebook's app look when you started working on it? Oh, man, it was really interesting. Back then, uh, the Facebook app had this... OS within an OS almost. It had a, its own springboard and garden of apps, just like the iOS launcher. Um, and each little uh, sub app within the app was kind of, you know, you could just launch it from the launcher and you were in that app experience. Uh, we didn't default you into newsfeed back then. Um, you know, this was a time when Facebook was really very much focused on platform and the idea of like a social operating system. Um, so it just made sense that there were all these little sub apps within the Facebook app that you could use and connect with your social graph and all the rich, you know, social data that Facebook had. That's super interesting. I, I, I don't remember Facebook being like this. I, I think back then I just used Facebook on dub dub dub, to be honest. 
Yeah, so did I. But what year are we talking here? That was uh, 2010 was when I started. I believe that version of the app was around a little bit before that even. Um, but yeah, it was... It's just crazy to think how much the app has changed since then. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, it was interesting. Uh, I had fairly recently you know, gotten an iPhone at the time I joined. Well, I guess no, I had an iPhone before that. But when I, when I joined, uh, Mark Zuckerberg had himself just kind of recently switched from BlackBerry to iOS. And as a result, he was very excited about all the new work going on in iOS. And it was fun for me because I was working on um, the Facebook Messages project and building the iOS app for that. So I got to, ins- back then we had no mobile builds page or really no automation at all. So I would just go and get his phone and install a version of Facebook on it and give it to him and then get direct feedback. It was really crazy in retrospect. I was super starstruck, you know, at the time and and to see where the company has gone since then. It's like, it's just kind of crazy in retrospect. Oh yeah, definitely. This uh, sounds like a fun journey. So like uh, going back to the beginning, how did you get started as an iOS developer? I know you're doing mostly Android now. Could you tell us a bit about that journey? Yeah, so I did... um, I worked on the uh, Facebook Messages project uh, for about six months. Um, it was my first project coming out of boot camp, and that was partially because the company I was at before had been, uh, you know, like based on email and group collaboration, and it was like kind of what we were brought in to work on at Facebook. And then uh, during boot camp, another engineering manager that had joined us from Google who was really excited about uh, HTML5 as the platform uh, for mobile development for the future. And at Zenby, I had done lots of, you know, rich internet application development with JavaScript. So I was really excited to see how far we could take it. Um, So I spent some time developing frameworks and working on uh, JavaScript and HTML5 apps and building pieces of Facebook platform for using the web as as our mobile platform. And Facebook as a whole at that time was kind of trying to convert from native development to web development because we felt that it was the most effective way to scale the uh, the engineering team because we had lots of web developers and very few native developers. There were other reasons as well. Uh, back then, the ability to quickly ship a native app, you know, if you look at it today, it's kind of, it's interesting because we ship our apps every week, but back then we would ship native code, you know, on a, we didn't really even have a fixed release cadence. It would be like months before new versions would come out. Whereas with the web, we'd be shipping a new version every single day. And the flexibility to ship new versions, it was really attractive. And so I think all of these things kind of led to us really trying to make a push for HTML5 being a mobile platform. Just for the benefit of our listeners who might not be as familiar with Facebook internal processes, Bootcamp is our new hire orientation that everyone goes through where you attend a bunch of classes and learn about Facebook internal you know, processes and frameworks and how to commit to our code base. And yeah, everyone goes through it once, but I've heard stories of people attending it again after a few years because there's just so much changing all the time. Oh, sorry. I, I would love to go through boot camp again at this point because I feel like it's probably a, a really great experience with all the training and and things that have been built around it. It was very ad hoc at the time I did it. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But the whole idea of shipping at a regular schedule or following the train model where you just have 
uh, cutoff dates for every single app is still a pretty recent trend, which has definitely taken off. And I think most big applications from from other companies as well follow this now and just do weekly or biweekly releases for their apps. Yeah, and and seeing that progression from shipping on a you know maybe every two or three months to shipping every single week. And the type of tooling and uh, engineering discipline and processes that we've had to develop to make that possible has been a really interesting uh, thing to watch and be a part of. Yeah, but uh, the thing you mentioned earlier, looking at JavaScript and enhancing your application with dynamic models you can fetch from the web is still a very naturally occurring idea. And we still struggle with it or think about mechanisms like this all the time because weekly release schedules are great and it's obviously a lot faster than than trying to come up with an ad hoc schedule but it's still one week that you have to wait to see your features out there in the world whereas for dub 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 projects you can deploy once a day or we even deploy now multiple times a day i totally agree deploying often is is what makes us be able to experiment and just make a better experience for our users so running the web on the phone makes a lot of sense but uh, so we all know what happened to this HTML5 uh, experiment, let's call it, and some of our listeners might as well. But how did this work out? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think Pascal was saying that you know you take lessons from one platform and and bring them to the other, um, and I think that was actually a really interesting thing that happened is that we wanted these benefits of flexibility, but uh, we realized that in order to deliver the best possible experience to our users, there was a lot of benefit to being able to build on native, just in terms of performance and just the quality of experience that we were able to deliver. And so we actually had this kind of meeting where everyone got together to like speak their mind about what development we should be doing. Should we be doing more HTML5? Should we be doing more native development? And I was in this meeting and I kind of came down on the path of like, you really just want to choose the right tool for the job. You shouldn't be too dogmatic about this platform is the best, you know, or everything should be native or everything should be HTML5. You should just look at what your constraints are, what you're trying to achieve and choose the right tool for the job. And I think that's kind of the progression that we made after that. We didn't immediately like, completely move away from HTML5 and uh, and only native. We gradually converted parts of the app that were super high traffic, that were core to the business, like our newsfeed. And we made this kind of measured, careful progression. And along the way, we also looked at a lot of new technologies as well and, and just kind of got a lot more practical and a lot more, yeah, I would say just like user-driven and how we how we thought about the technology choices that we were making rather than just choosing technology for its own sake. And I think this is a lesson that we clearly learned the hard way, but that has stuck and that we apply to this day. For every individual project or product, we look at it in in isolation and see which technology makes the, the most sense and go from there. Yeah, I would say this is one of my favorite parts about Facebook. You come in and there's no like, we use this technology just because we like it. There's always a reason behind all these choices, and we yeah, no one here is dogmatic about it. Right, any of we this. reevaluate these choices 
as we go along as well. And I think I think this is why you may see different technology choices in some of our different open source projects as well. We we try to reevaluate these choices uh, as the environment changes. Right, but at this stage, that was definitely the end of the line for HTML5. So yeah. how did you move on from there? Yeah, and so as we kind of started to make that transition to more native development, a lot of tooling had to get built up you know, because we couldn't ship the app as rapidly as we could for web, that meant that we needed to make sure that it was very stable. And so a lot of tools around, you know, crash reporting, experimentation, um, release management, you know, just even the process of like uh, picking changes into the release and how we decide, you know, risk about uh, making changes late, you know, right before we're about to release. A lot of these things just had to be developed and it took it took some practice and some work to get good at them, but as we, time has passed, we've gotten better and better, and we've been able to ship faster and faster. Yeah, this is one of the lessons that I've learned at Facebook. Shipping fast is is just so much more valuable than than I imagined. So at this time, you've mostly been an iOS and a web developer at Facebook, but uh, you're currently working on. Android. So how did that transition happen and why did you decide to start working on a totally new platform? Sure. Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, when, when this native rewrite of the iOS app happened, I took a brief, uh, tour of duty on that team. Uh, just, it seemed like a really exciting group to be a part of and some really great engineers were working on it. And I kind of wanted to, to get back to iOS a little bit. So I worked briefly on that project but shortly uh, after doing a bit of time there, uh, Facebook r- sort of decided to really focus on Android. And one of the things that was really exciting about Android to Facebook was how flexible the platform was. And as a company that saw itself as a social, you know, social platform, the ability of Android to uh, allow Facebook to customize the experience around your friends was really attractive. So uh, this project got kicked off um, that eventually became Facebook Home, which was to bring all your friends um, to the center of your phone and make build an experience around uh, socializing with your closest friends. Um, and it was, it was this kind of like people more than apps experience. Um, and because I, uh, I'd had some experience, you know, with, with Mark Zuckerberg in the, in the early days, he asked me to, to work on this project, and that was, you know, a real honor to be considered for that. I, at the time, I was, I was definitely an iOS fan, and I was a bit reluctant to switch to Android, but I saw this opportunity to do something great on Android and, and realize how big the platform is globally um, as, a, as, a, as a great opportunity. So I, I took it, and I guess over my time working on Android, I've realized it, it's just a great spot to be in because I've always been uh, the type of engineer uh, that really cares about experience and and design and making products that feel great. And Android, just as much as iOS, needs that kind of attention and care. So what platform version was this? Are we talking Froyo, Ice Cream Sandwich, Gingerbread? I want to get a sense of uh, what kind of APIs we're working with. Uh, So I believe Ice Cream Sandwich was probably the predominant OS version around this time. Um, when we were working on Facebook Home, we were doing a lot of testing on ICS. And yeah, that, that project was just really interesting to work on on so many levels. 
getting into you know how how much you could customize Android with uh, being able to do things like create custom lock screens, building your own launcher, doing deep integrations such as uh, chat heads. Um, there were just so many things that were available to us to build like new experiences. Um, so it was really just an amazing sandbox to play in. One of the awesome things about that project for me was getting to work with some great designers. There was a designer that had joined our team. He had previously worked on Facebook's paper application, which was the sort of re-envisioning of uh, Facebook for iOS to be a super interactive direct manipulation experience. Um, If you're not familiar with it, it was probably just the most beautifully finely crafted iOS app ever made, uh, in my opinion. It was, it was just, it was painstakingly detailed. And, and so the design, one of the designers from that design team was the lead designer on Facebook home and getting to work with him and see like his passion for making these delightful interactive experiences. It drove me to like try and do more than, uh, what I thought you could do on Android. And, a big part of that was building a, uh, a simple physics animation library. Uh, a lot of the, de- the designs that, um, that I was given had this component of like spring animation in them. So, you know, you could like grab something and throw it and it would like slow down and bounce a little bit at the end. And there wasn't a really great solution to do this on Android at the time. So I worked on that. And it enabled us to build like a really nice experience for Facebook Home that we were super proud of. And it seems to me that the entire engineering approach here is quite different from what you normally do. Well, to be quite honest, when I work on an application, most of the time, at least on my own, the the thought of animations is an after step. It's like the polish you sprinkle on top of a f- almost finished project. It's like, yeah, let's just animate some stuff here. Let's keep this this icon floating in from here whereas for you it it seems that this was a core aspect of the entire experience and was there from the start yeah and i can say from my own experience when working with designers it's usually been they drop a couple of pngs in dropbox or email them to you and they're static mocks and this usually means that I'm the one that decides on what the pressed state of a button looks like or how a transition looks or how different animations work when things are inserted into a list. And while I have some design background, I don't want this decision to be on me. I'd rather have a designer who works on this full time crafting these experiences as well. Yeah, that was uh, one of the really interesting things um, that I took away from the designers is they were giving us these extremely detailed uh, specs that were full motion prototypes built with Quartz Composer, uh, which now they have a, our own version of that called Origami. And what this is... Wait, was Origami created as part of Facebook Home as well? Uh, origami was started by, I guess, Brandon Walken as an engineer that, or as a designer that used Quartz Composer all the time. And there were, I guess, Apple was not supporting Quartz Composer as much. Uh, as they wanted, and there were some features and things that they were they were like building into Quartz Composer, but creating our own design tool that had the features of Quartz Composer that they wanted, but also um, was extensible to do all the things that other things they wanted to do was, I guess, a good choice for them. 
Um, so I wanted to create a library that actually mapped directly to the values that they were programming into these Quartz composers. So there was a way to actually take the uh, configurations that they were using and put them directly into Rebound. And then you should get an identical spring animation curve uh, to what the prototype had. This was a, also a feature of the pop animation library that they created for paper that is sort of an iOS version of Rebound. Um, so both libraries had this ability to take configuration directly from QC and port it directly in. And then later when they launched Origami, they even built code generation that would actually uh, give you scaffolding for a prototype that you made in iOS web or Android. And the web and Android versions used uh, Rebound JS and Rebound Android, respectively. That's super cool. Uh, can you talk a bit about like how the, um, I guess, collaboration changed or like how how building these apps changed doing those that kind of um, uh, work and using these tools compared to uh, what most people might be more used to? It's like you get an email with a ping and you just have to implement it yeah i mean for me it's it's like working an elaborate jigsaw puzzle or putting together like a complicated lego model it's like you get the exact instructions you don't have to guess anything because you have you can actually look at all the details not just the pixels but how everything moves and reacts to one another and so now it's just your challenge to see how faithfully you can recreate um, what was done in this prototype in the application. Um, so I, I always just consider it a really fun challenge. And beyond that, like one of the great things about working here is how multidisciplinary people are. So min so many of our designers are really talented at technical thinking and could be great engineers if they wanted to go down that route. The things they're doing in these uh, origami and course composer mockups are essentially programming, but with a different style, with a more like flow-based uh, model. So I can look at what they did in their prototype and I can understand how to build it in code. Yeah, but having a designer with an understanding of, of the product and the technology can make such a difference. Yeah, and I think when you work with a really great designer, there's so much thinking that goes into every little detail. Like nothing is, everything is intentional. And so when you get when you get to work with that kind of designer, you really want a super high fidelity recreation of their their idea because you can't just leave part of it out and still have the complete uh, complete idea faithfully recreated. So uh, at this point in your story, you're, you're working on Facebook Home and you're creating all these things that, like Pascal said, we've actually come to continue using throughout uh, our, our family of apps. Uh, how did you go from Facebook Home to uh, now working on Instagram? How did that uh, that transition happen? Yeah, so um, we worked on Facebook Home for a while. Um, we tried some different iterations on the product to try and achieve better product market fit. I should say, like when we launched the product, it was it was really well received by the tech press and by people that you know, enjoy reviewing apps. Um, people enjoyed the quality of the experience and the inter interactivity of it. I was really, one one that I was particularly happy about was MG Siegler saying that this was an Android experience that an iPhone user could love. 
um, because it was we tried to make it just really crafted and really uh, everything feel really smooth and nicely animated. You know, after we iterated a little bit on on home, I kind of wanted to work on something you know just a bit more fun and and less system oriented and more just kind of uh, fun and social. And the opportunity came up to do. There was this program at Facebook called Facebook Creative Labs, and this designer that I work with, uh, I should say his name is Joey Flynn, had this really wild idea for creating a social messaging app where you could create an infinite loop of feedback by having a model where when you send a message or a, a photo or a video to someone, you can't see it until you send them a photo or a video. And so this was a really crazy, weird, you know, not not big company idea at all. Um, and I was so intrigued by what would happen if you made this, you know, what would this be like? And so I got to work with a, with a very small team of engineers that I knew uh, and, and Joey and build this experience. And it was just a blast to like kind of start something from scratch, have this kind of feeling of being like a little startup, but actually being part of this big company and having the resources of the big company available to us and just get to really explore this idea. Yeah, it was super fun. So uh, yeah, so what? Uh, so how did you then go from Slingshot and continue to uh, go to Instagram? Yeah, so I mean, I'm in this kind of, uh, I guess I have like a string of failures that lead to success in some ways, which I guess is the way of a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> Slingshot went through a couple of, um, a couple of iterations. Uh, and one of the last... For the record, I was an early user. Yeah, it was it was fun. We we had a lot of fun with it internally. Yeah, I guess like the last iteration of Slingshot was creating this um, full screen immersive storytelling format um, where you could broadcast as many photos and videos as you wanted, and they would be shown in a card stack that you could swipe off. Um, and this enabled you to do like multiple clips of photos and videos and just kind of create a lightweight story. And in order to get this off the ground, you know, with anything like this, the content is what makes it great. And in order to kind of prototype it and see what it felt like, I wrote some scripts that took Instagram hashtags and reposted them to Slingshot using an account based on the hashtag name. So our our designer was really into this Japanese uh, ball and stick game called Kendama, where you try to catch the, the ball on the end of a stick. And uh, so I had hashtag Kendama, and you could watch people all over the world doing these crazy tricks with the Kendama and just swipe through and just be in this like full screen media environment. And I was just blown away by one, like the community at Instagram and how amazing the content that uh, they were creating was. And two, what a great experience seeing this content in an immersive view was just edge to edge, like only the content. And so uh, after Slingshot wound down, after we didn't kind of get get it enough critical mass to keep working on it, um, I joined Instagram, not explicitly to go and build that, uh, although I kind of hoped that someday that opportunity would arise. It was more that not just, I, I really respected the Instagram engineering team, the product, the culture over there, and I just wanted to go over there and learn from them and and participate in what I saw as this great app that was still very much up and coming. So what 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 year was this? Uh, because I, I remember using Slingshot, and it must have been 
2013, maybe summer 2013. Yeah, I think it was. It was like 2000. I think Slingshot wound down at the end of 2014 ish, as I recall, because I think I joined Instagram. Uh, I started uh, a hack a month at Instagram in like December of 2014. Um, which is, I should say, a great program that uh, we have at Facebook where you can try out other teams and kind of team gets to see how you are, you get to see how they are, and if it's a good fit, you get to continue working on it. So I... I, I would call it, it's basically an internal internship yeah, program of sorts. Yes. Yeah. So my, my internal internship at Instagram was to build uh, an in-app gallery for the Instagram Android app. Because back then, Instagram would launch an intent to use the system gallery to pick photos and videos. And we saw in data that there was a huge drop-off in people that would launch the intent and then never come back with the photo and video or video. And Yeah, I guess like every single phone would also have a different gallery then. So yep. the, the Samsung one would look entirely differently yep. from, from the one you would see on uh, a Google device, a Nexus back then. Yep. And so we, but I also find it very fascinating that Slingshot was basically one of the first explorations of this edge-to-edge format. Because um, just just a few years later, every single company was talking about this. I also worked on other uh, companies' features where edge-to-edge was the buzzword that everyone was talking about. How to find content with which which would actually fit this format and how to realize it. Yeah, yeah, it's just so engaging when you're just kind of immersed like that. I think. So at this point when you're joining Instagram and joining Instagram's Android team, uh, how big are they? And uh, like as a company as well as the Android it team? It was a small team back then. I couldn't tell you the exact number of people, but it was 20 or less, I, I would guess. And the really cool thing about that team was it was very close-knit. They had a really strong culture of code quality and some strong like senior engineers that really set the standard for how things were to be done. But the group was also just very social and fun and it felt like a family back then. And so it was like just an honor to get to join that group of people and, and build on top of the great foundation that they had created. And I learned so much from, from the people on that team early on and, and still do today. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, at this point, you've like greatly improved the entire sharing experience, but I guess that's not all. So what exactly changed at Instagram itself that made you move on to the next project here? So uh, at the time, Instagram was noticing a decline in everyday sharing uh, from, uh, yeah, we were just seeing that people were sharing less and we were trying to understand, you know, what were the drivers of that? And so I started, I was working on a team uh, that was focused on bringing back or like increasing sharing on Instagram. And we found, you know, a number of reasons when doing user research, why people would say they would not post to Instagram. And a big one was just that over time, there was so much high quality produced content showing up on Instagram that people felt like their day-to-day moments didn't belong in the Instagram feed. There was also this pressure, you know, if you didn't get a certain number of likes within a certain amount of time, you would you would delete that content because obviously it wasn't good enough to be uh, representing you. So I joined this project that was just starting from that problem, trying to think about how can we make Instagram not just a place for your highlights, but a place for 
telling your story, for telling your day-to-day life, for connecting and socializing with your friends. And that eventually led us to building Instagram stories, um, which, as, as I had mentioned back when I was doing Slingshot, I, I'd had a taste for what Instagram content could feel like in that format. And so I was super excited to get to work on that. And it's been a passion project getting to participate in Instagram stories for me uh, since, since the beginning of it and, and even until, until now. We wanted to solve this problem of everyday sharing, let people feel comfortable that Instagram was a place for all their moments and that they could strengthen relationships with their friends on Instagram without having to be, you know, on top of a mountain or doing some epic, you know, dinner or something. It could just be a regular everyday selfie or whatever you want to post. Um, and so we, ne- we needed to create a format that depressurized that, that the things that made Instagram great, which were the community and the creative people that are on it, and gave them a new means of expression. And that's what Stories was meant was. And it was really, you know, interesting when we launched, we didn't really try to claim that, no, we invented this, you know, it's like, no, we looked in the world, we saw things that were good. We realized that, that this was a feature that Instagram users wanted, and we provided it to them. And I think in my mind, it felt like a missing piece of the puzzle for Instagram to me. Whereas before we just had these highlights and now we have this, you know, place where you can just, it's just your place to fill up with whatever you want. And it's just, it just fills that, that missing gap of like, here's like kind of the top of the funnel, everything that happens to me. And then here's the feed and my profile is like the highlights and the things that I want to be a part of my visual identity. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, for myself, I wasn't using Instagram a lot um, until Stories, and then, then I started using Stories and started using Instagram as a whole more, and and uh, using Stories as this storytelling format, and maybe using the feed posts as as yeah, highlighting something, highlighting often the ending of that story. I might I might post to my story how I'm cooking food, but that that last real awesome food picture goes into feed. And uh, I think this is a, is, is a great way to use it. And I, I've definitely started using it like this. Um, yeah, I think I was just one of those typical users you described there. I posted a bunch of crap right from the beginning where it was fine and acceptable because cameras kind of suck. People didn't really know what to do. But then all of a sudden you started following more people and saw all those high quality posts. And at some point you start to get intimidated and feel like you need to live up to this yeah, level of quality. And yeah, I just stopped like um, a lot of other people posting to my actual feed. And then with stories, this this pressure was completely gone. And you felt like you can actually post everyday stuff that's happening in your life and follow your friends again. I think it's super interesting to hear this side of the story because um, the, the external one is pretty one-sided, but now we can actually see how many considerations went into this and all the previous work from Facebook home over to Slingshot, which ultimately ended up in Instagram stories. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, personally, one of the more exciting things about this for me was was that I actually worked with Will and the team on launching Instagram stories. And this is one of the best things about Facebook. I was working on a, on a frameworks team in London, which I'm still working on the same frameworks team in London. Uh, but the Instagram team reached out to me. Uh, I knew, uh, I knew um, Ryan who works on that team and they reached out to me and they needed some help shipping this and I could just drop what I was doing and help them for a month. 
or a month and a half and then go back to uh, to working on frameworks. And the ability to do this and be very like not so rigid in what teams people work on, I think is one of the coolest things about Facebook. And this is definitely one of the more exciting parts of having worked at Facebook for me, uh, working on helping ship that product. Yeah, totally. You you really saved us there too. Like we we had so much to do with that uh, drawing UI that we needed to build, and and you did such a great job. It was it was awesome. Uh, Thanks, Will. <laughs> that that was another example. I feel like of the tight collaboration between engineering and design. I remember how closely you and and. JV worked together to um, really try and nail the details of that to get that very expressive drawing and, and nice smooth curves and everything. Yeah, so we I was working on like the brush strokes in uh, in stories and JV, uh, uh, a designer who who sadly passed away shortly after this. Um, he came to London and and worked incredibly tightly with me designing in detail the 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 individual brushes on a on a pencil and how they would work when drawn on a on a digital display and we went into so incredible detail on these and they ended up great and this was definitely one of the best collaborative like design experiences uh collaborating between design and engineering that I've ever had i think these these kind of collaborations are what make the best user experiences in the end. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. That's what makes me come into work every day is the opportunity to work with creative people and like bring new things into the world um, and, and to really try and fully realize the vision that a great designer has. That's, that's just my passion. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Cool. So before we wrap this up, um, I mentioned before that one of the things that came out of Facebook Home and that is still around is Rebound, a library for spring animations. Can you tell us a bit more about this, what design decisions went into it and how you can use it as a developer? Yeah, Um, I've done a number of talks over the years about uh, how we use Rebound, and I think some of those are available online. But the idea that has really come forward to me is that animation is another type of state in your application. And so often uh, when people are just thinking of animations as kind of sprinkled on top of the UI, you get into cases where if, if it's not clear that an animation is running or what state an animation is in, you may get kind of janky experiences where an animation is canceled and reversed or uh, you know doesn't get to complete because something else changes in your application. And so what rebound can help with is to provide a source of truth for your animation state by giving you these spring models and what that means is you can tell an animation to begin and if some state changes in your application that needs to cancel that animation rather than directly manipulating the ui it will tell the spring that your new goal is something else. So you were going to one and now you should be going to zero to like toggle back down or something. And because this is all done, you know, with inertia and and a simple physics engine, 
rather than just like abruptly stopping and, and canceling and changing state, you'll get this nice curved motion where the thing that was going in one direction just comes back to the other. Yeah, I think this is super important and it makes a huge difference in, in the user experience. Whether you tap the back button while an animation is playing and everything just snaps back and quickly aboards, or it smoothly trans- translates back to, to the state that it so was So the before. thing I find most interesting with this is when you're describing how this works is it, this is very similar to how now a lot of our frameworks uh, UI frameworks work like Litho or React.js. It's it's about telling the framework where you want to end up and allowing it to get you there uh, rather than telling the framework exactly how you want to get there. And uh, yeah, I just think this is, this is a pattern we see across, yeah, uh, UI frameworks to animation libraries, things like GraphQL on the, on the server side or on the data model side. I think it's just, so interesting yeah. to see this um, this idea come to life in, in so many places. Being able to think about animation declaratively, you should be in this state, get there with a nice animation, or you should be in this other state. Um, it really frees you up to just not think about those details and focus on other things. And I think in general, when you can when you can write abstractions that let you think in that way, then you're you're doing a huge service to the to the developer. Yeah, I think this is a great note to wrap this up on. Well, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about your story here at Facebook and before. And yeah, we hope to have you on again. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was really great reminiscing and uh, yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of the Inside Facebook Mobile Podcast. Thanks, Will, for joining us. And please don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. And if you have specific suggestions or would like to see specific guests come on, email us at mobilepodcasts at fb.com with those suggestions. Or send us a tweet. We are on Twitter at Inside FB Mobile. And like always, visit facebook.com slash careers if you're interested in working with any of us in the future. All right. I'll hear you again in a month. See ya. Well, that took a weird turn. Okay. <clears throat>